Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together as family. Thank you for keeping the doors of this incredible place of worship open, Father. We're just so grateful for this time together, this special time of fellowship in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What a wonderful experience it is to celebrate this way. May we never become familiar with it. Father, we pray for those that are ill in our congregation, that you heal them and comfort them and bring them back to the fold in your good time, of course. We also pray for those that are still lost in this world, Father, that before it's too late, may be humbled. We might have additional brothers and sisters in Christ for all of eternity. Father, we're most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt and to make an evening like this a reality for us to rejoice in. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Hey, do you guys have the volume on back there? Yeah, I can hear it when I'm praying, so either close the door or turn it off. The Lord is our confidence, part 46. Uh, quickly reviewing our Sunday message up here on the board, obedience of faith. Uh, this is, I think, the third, maybe even the fourth time we've seen this uh, in one way or form or another. Uh, there's a divine sequence that leads to blessings from God. It's really that simple. It's not a difficult sequence to think about. It's actually really encouraging if you think about it properly. Um, it's, it's wonderful that we have a God that's not a God of confusion. Uh, if you're confused, if you've got angst or anxiety or worry in your life, those are all remnants uh, or vestiges of sin or flesh, your human flesh. Uh, but there's a, a pathway out of it. We call that obedience of faith obedience of faith that is going to be front and center this evening as it has been but on that topic there's a divine sequence that we owe we have uh, guidance to and we saw that in second uh, john uh, verse six first john five one to three this sequence that the spirit's been highlighting is clearly laid out in the bible by means of commandments that's what we can look at and find in the Bible, this sequence is clearly laid out uh, by means of commandments. And thankfully, God gives us myriad commands or commandments. Uh, in other words, we have a lot of guidance when it comes to this divine sequence that leads us to blessings. Jesus clearly states that to follow these commands has a very definite result. Here's an old friend. I alluded to it on Sunday, uh, but I'll give it to you here. This is that linkage uh, that we developed months back now. John 15.10 reads, If you keep my commandments, you will, not may, you may, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, in other words, if you follow this sequence, if you walk by means of the Spirit, if you walk this way, you will abide in my love. That's what he promises and Jesus has never lied, and so I guess we could rest our hats on this very thing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
and we couple that with John 14, 15, if you love me, which is the inverse, you will keep my commandments. And so you have this bi-directional linkage, um, those two you wills there. Uh, the first one, you will abide my love, you will keep my commandments. Those two you wills say an awful lot about the sphere of God, what it means. Uh, whenever we're observing what the Bible has to say about obedience, something as fundamental as obedience, um, these two you wills have an awful lot to say about it, uh, and more specifically, the sphere of God. So that's that linkage we learned about a few months ago between obedience and love, and it's front and center again, not surprisingly. This is usually how he works. Uh, he teaches us something, and then he sort of weaves it into our curriculum along the way just to sort of endorse it or amplify it. And so that linkage uh, is something we learned uh, months back between obedience and love. Our rightful conclusion was this, that you can't possibly have one without the other for either to be pure. You can't possibly have one without the other for either to be pure. They are a package deal. Obedience and love, they are a package deal. If you say you have love but without obedience, you're a liar. If you have obedience without love, you're a liar. And so you have to have both. And this is what it means to be in the sphere of God. So thinking about that, let's think very practically for a moment. When it comes to the topic of love, it seems everyone's looking to fall into it. I just, you know, I just, I just want to fall into love. I want to fall in love. Everybody seems to be looking to fall into love, whatever the heck that means. It certainly isn't godly most of the time. And I think as a result of Hollywood, it's easy for us to relate to the idea of being overwhelmed by love. You know, when you fall in love, you're just overwhelmed. And you know, everything's, you know, dimples and roses and, and what have you. And everybody wants to go through this cycle of falling in love. And so I think we're conditioned that way, that it's easy for us to think about being overwhelmed by love. But it's a lot more difficult, it seems, to be overwhelmed with obedience. But yet, what did we just learn? They're, they're of the same level of importance in, in, I don't know, congruity? I'm struggling for the right word. They're in the same sphere. They're a package deal. So why is it that we can, we can be overwhelmed and seek to be in love and be overwhelmed by love but not overwhelmed with obedience. Shouldn't they be the same? Isn't that what we see in Jesus Christ in his example? That he was just as happy as being in love as being obedient and vice versa? Isn't that what we see in Jesus Christ? That's exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. So it seems a lot more difficult to be overwhelmed, overwhelmed with obedience. What you'll find as you grow up in this uh, in the Word of God, is that obedience is a privilege. Repeat that to yourself. Obedience is a privilege. How about the simple fact that He gave you stepwise instructions <laughs> so you don't fall into the pit? 
So you don't go to the right or the left. He says, here, I'm going to give you exact, good, perfect instructions so you can stay out of trouble, so you can remain in freedom, Galatians 5.1, because that's what I went to the cross for, to set you free. I don't want you back in bondage. I want to keep you set free. I'm going to give you all the stepwise instructions. Is that not something to rejoice over? Isn't that a privilege to be spoken to by the holy God of the universe? I think so. But we're so in love. We're so infatuated with falling in love. <laughs> but nobody is infatuated with falling in obedience. But yet, they literally should hold the same weight in your soul. Hmm. So if we follow Hollywood's lead, we don't keep commandments sacred at all. Obedience is, is a swear word. Matter of fact, we obey or we oppose uh, commandments. So uh, concentrate for a moment up here on the board on the topic of obedience. Obedience isn't just something we do, it becomes us. That's what it means to abide. The Word of God uses that word abide. It means to essentially, the way I've taught it, uh, to be in the sphere of, to be in that realm. Obedience isn't just something we do, it becomes us. It is the preeminent feature of our behavior in Christ. It establishes and confirms our abiding in the sphere of love. It's a state of being, not a laundry list of to-dos. That's wrong thinking. It's, I, I wouldn't say strictly wrong. It's not bad to follow the commands, and I think when we're younger... That's what we do. But as we mature, what the Spirit's been teaching this congregation is that obedience becomes us. You start, what I just said about the distinction between love and obedience starts making real sense. When we're young, I think, oh, I just want to fall in love. Okay, obedience. And what you learn is you, this starts happening. Where love and obedience, the way Christ described it. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love and vice versa. That means they are on equal footing, aren't they? Yep, exactly. On Sunday, the Spirit asked us to assess our gut reaction to God's command to obey, and he kind of laid it out twofold. Your brand of obedience, and we all have it. Do you obey out of pure fear of being disciplined? In other words, are you still an adolescent about this thing? Or do you obey out of respect, love, and gratitude? For the one who saved you? Are you just infatuated with him to the degree where just having his word excites you, gives you peace, gives you rest? Motivation is everything. We've learned that many times uh, in the past from this pulpit. Motivation is everything. Here's our litmus test, as per Holy Scripture up here on the board. The obedience litmus test. Is our obedience burdensome or not? Because 1 John 5.3 says it, they shouldn't be. Commandments shouldn't be. His commands are not burdensome. When we're in the right frame of reference, when we're abiding the way that Jesus described it, is our obedience burdensome or not? 
Our honest answer indicates whether we are riding or abiding, I call it. Riding or abiding. Riding means just along for the ride, you know, playing religion. Or are we abiding? Abiding is holy. Riding isn't. If you're just along for the ride, uh, you're missing the point. Peter wrote about this, as we saw. Go to 1 Peter 1.14. 1 Peter 1.14. Peter wrote about this. 1 Peter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, okay, what's one of the, if, you, if you're, let's assume you, you grew up in a functional home. <laughs> but, so imagine if you didn't. Uh, as obedient children, what's more pleasant than being a child and knowing that you're loved? And knowing that through obedience, you're appreciated. Um, and that you love your parents so much that you want to obey. What's greater than that? That's what gives you that sort of warm home. I get to go home in the protective measure, the sphere of my home. It's my place where I can finally go and feel safe and secure. And at, you know, at home. Well, that's a package deal. You obey the house rules. You're in love. You love your parents. Your parents love you. You get it? It's a whole package. <clears throat> and that's what Peter is writing about here, so don't miss it. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your, all your conduct. Not some, all of your conduct. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. And, of course, the implication behind that is that you have a divine standard to live up to, which, as we've uh, learned over the past month or so, uh, is the truth. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that's a reference to sanctification, of course. Jesus spoke directly about the truth in his holy prayer up here on the board. John 17, 17. How do, we, how do we become holy? How are we made uh, into God's purpose? How are we sanctified, in other words? That's the definition of sanctification, to be set apart for his purposes. Sanctify them how? In the truth. Your word is truth. If we put these two passages together, we synthesize the following up here on the board. <clears throat> the word sanctifies us. God's good intention is that we be sanctified in truth. The efficacy, or the effectiveness, if you would, of the Word is empowered by the Holy Spirit. In other words, our sanctification is a function of the Word. Absence of this truth undermines the process of sanctification. You know exactly where the Spirit's taking us, right? You know exactly where He's taking it. Here all, all signs are pointing to the Word. All road signs. All commandments, the baseline commandment is learn my word. <laughs> if you want to be able to do this thing and avoid the left and the right, if you want to uh, embrace, if you want to abide in my love, you will keep my commandments. 
Well, how do you know even what the next step is if you never take in the commandments? That's the whole point. And that's been the encouragement all along. And if we want the Lord to be our ultimate confidence, hence our series title, this is exactly what he's been driving home. Knowing how clearly stated in Holy Scripture this is, we pondered. This is a fair question. Sometimes you have to scratch your head. Um, why do so many people flounder in time, in bondage to lies? And just, by the way, I just wrote a blog titled, Lies Produce the Opposite of Advertised Results. Lies Produce the Opposite of Advertised Results. But anyways, why do so many people flounder in time in bondage to lies? One clear explanation as to our question why is this thread. And I think he's, I think he's really, the reason he brings up something three times is because it's really important. Someone in here is not getting it. Someone's not really getting it yet. And he really wants you to get it. And so do the rest of us so we can move on. I'm just kidding. One explanation is that one big lie promotes a bunch of downstream little lies. If you adopt one big lie, he gave you this as food for thought, as fodder, if you would. Big lies that promote slavery to lots of little lies. The biggest one is sex is okay as long as you're, you know, in love. Here we go again, right? You're in love. Right? Church, you know, I think about that sometimes. Churches are so messed up right now that they're, they're promoting homosexuality. Not just, you know, sex in, in love, but literally now same sex is acceptable uh, in churches. It's completely perverse. What a huge, huge lie. What did God design sex for? One place. Where? In marriage. That is it. You'll save yourself a lot of trouble if you even just, especially you unmarried people, just stop even thinking about it. Stop letting the world take you there. That's why, you know, television, internet. Stop letting the world take you there even. Just cut the thought out of your head. You'll be much better off because that's what God said. God says, no, this is about marriage. That's it but not in this world, as long as you're in love. That's one huge lie that just, I just see people's lives tanking over. Todd, what's the number one reason someone leaves the church? Oh, I can't hear you now because I, I demanded he shut the door. He's like, <laughs> see how it comes back and bites you? The opposite sex. It's, it's, it's redonkulous, right? It's unbelievable. Always, always, 90-something percent of the time, opposite sex. People be going so hard and furious and fast and growing like a weed in Christ. And then some, a member of the opposite sex comes in, all of a sudden they stop coming to church, you know, they stop making bad decisions, they stop doing all kinds of things. All of a sudden there's all kinds of havoc in their life. They don't like their life anymore. They don't like their friends anymore. They're now being separated from their parents, uh, maybe their children. Uh, it's, their life is a mess. Why? Sex. Why? You certainly, aren't, you certainly aren't pursuing that end for anything but lust. Anyways, 
That's one huge lie that destroys lives left and right. Lying is okay when used to remain unoffensive. Oh, I just tell little white lies because I don't, wanna, I don't want the truth to offend somebody. You're going to have to show me that in the Bible for me to teach that. And then lying turns into other lies. I know, I, know, I know married couples that lie to each other all the time about stupid stuff. Like really stupid, stupid stuff. Like why are you doing that? It's not okay to lie. Tell them the truth. If, if, if something you have to say hurts their feelings, then say it with some tact. But don't lie about it. You're not protecting anybody except yourself. That is a selfish maneuver. You're the one who doesn't want to face the backlash or whatever. That means you're a coward. But anyways, lying is not okay in any way, shape, or form. The end always justifies the means. That one is uh, hugely popular in ministries even. Uh, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to charge for our books. We're going to charge for admission. We're going to put on shows. We're going to charge people for them. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. Um, because the end justifies the means. Do you follow? The world needs me. I watched uh, some moron. I forget who the guy's name is, but he's this really famous pastor. And he had bought a, I don't know, he bought a, a Gulfstream private jet off of Kobe Bryant or something. And he justified it, like publicly. said, oh, yeah, you know, I don't, you know, I'm above that. And it was, it was bizarre. And the guy's making millions. And he's evil, by the way. And he's making millions and millions of dollars. And he says, I need that jet because I need to be places. Ecumenicalism, which is where all the churches are starting to come together, promotes love, therefore it's okay. You know, let's just all say we love Jesus, even though we all have a different Jesus and a different gospel and a different spirit. Let's just all say we love Jesus and come together. Do you know how dangerous that is? And how many lives are ruined because of that? Because now people are confused. When you stand for, for nothing, you fall for anything, that's what they want. They want the bottom to drop out of all the truth so that people are confused. And they say that's a good thing. It's quite the sales pitch. Judging of any kind is wrong. That's another good fat lie that's in this world that get, lets people sort of live like hell and never be bothered because there's this PC wall even within the church. Don't judge me. Well, I kind of have to because what you're doing is wrong. These are all lies. And they're big lies that promote all kinds of catastrophe, all kinds of little lies. So that's the last time I hope we have to go through that. Some of them are the cause of so much suffering in this world that it's hard to believe sometimes why people persist in them. Why do people persist? The only answer is that they choose to persist in them. That is the actual answer, that they actually choose to persist in lies. As the Spirit taught us many times in the past, some people would rather wallow in self-induced misery than enjoy the freedom that Christ guarantees. It's almost like they're, you know, rolling the dice. I'm going to take a risk. I know it's, I know it's probably, I know God doesn't really want me to do this, but I, I, I really think, I think, I think, I think this is the one. I think this is the one. I think it's okay to break his commands. 
What did we just learn? You break command, you're going to the left or the right. There's one way. That's it. There's one way. And people would rather wallow in self-induced misery than enjoy freedom. Why? One word. Arrogance. Instead of obedience and love becoming them, instead of becoming what Jesus was in the sphere of love, which was obedient, arrogance becomes them. Arrogance becomes them. And that's in the same vein of thought that obedience becomes us. When we abide in arrogance, we guarantee suffering and pain. Up here on the board, the pain we feel under the weight of the truth is the result of our flesh clinging for life to lies. I personally hate to see anyone in pain. Hate it. Hate to watch car wrecks in slow motion. But how, do I, how can any of us sleep at night? Because we know that the culprit is the arrogant flesh. These people are actually choosing, choosing to live in lies. And then, of course, there's this point on the board. The pain we feel under the weight of truth is a result of our flesh clinging for life to lies. In other words, when the Spirit sends a message like this one, hey, Wake up. You're clinging to a lie. You are choosing to wallow in self-induced misery. Wake up, and you're white-knuckling it. That pain, that, those, that vestige, if you would, of holding on to sin is the problem. So I personally hate to see that happen to someone. It's awful to me, especially when I know the power of the truth and what it could do for them which is to set them free. That's the pain of this. Watching someone hold on to something that hurts them. It's the strangest thing. And it happens, I would argue, probably with more frequency than people hold to the truth. And what the Bible tells us is they're making choices of their own. That they're choosing that thing. And some of them, like some of you, know better. You've actually heard the truth the truth that's meant to set you free, and you still persist in self-induced misery. And not once has it ever given you anything than some crazy emotional high in your life of dysfunction junction. Up and down and up. And some of you are friends of these people, and you're like, yep, I'm waiting. Probably next week or next month, I'll be getting a phone call. What, what is it now, sweetie? Oh, no, I don't know. <laughs> Anyways, such is the price. Anyways, this ache that a person, and I'm not the only one in here, I know that. Such is the price of intimacy between two individuals where Christ is the center. Up here on the board, perfect example is shepherd and sheep. Integrity between two hearts. 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Couple that with Proverbs 23.12, apply your heart to instruction and your ear to words of knowledge. And so we have this meeting place. Um, and so a pastor's job is unique in that way. But I think it's fair to say that anyone who's preaching the gospel is playing a critical role in God's plan for mankind. 
Anyone who's preaching the gospel is giving an invitation. Hey, I would like to meet you at Christ. Can I give you the truth about your salvation? Can I give you the truth about your depravity? I would like to meet you on the veracity of Christ. And then I would like to be your brother or your sister in Christ forever and ever. So it's not just between shepherd and sheep, because as I've taught you, you all have ministries. You're all going to go to work or go back home or go be with your families, and especially with Thanksgiving coming up. You're going to have all these opportunities to reveal Christ to people. So it's fair to say that anyone who's preaching the gospel is playing a critical role in God's plan for mankind. Hence, the typical requirement this is where it gets interesting, I think, this evening. The typical requirement for personal connection and intimacy with those we are trying to evangelize. Up here on the board, we call this the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19-20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Boy, my carpet's like way over there. Think about this, and I'm sure you can relate. The longer I live, the longer you live, the more I believe that the most successful evangelism begins with some form of intimacy. Is that fair? That's why I'm not a huge proponent. Hold on, i got, I got to fix this. I'm not a huge proponent, per se, of these uh, giant so-called crusades, these big things, where, and then people say, oh my God, 5,000 people were saved when I was on a microphone. Not sure. I'm not sure how I feel about that. What I learned later on is the back the backstory is that a lot of those people really weren't saved. It's just no one ever follows up. But when they follow up, what you realize is a lot of those people, shortly thereafter, do what they did in Jesus's time. They left them. Right? They said, "I believe." Why do you believe? Because you saw a sign. Why do you believe? Because you know some American that's like a foot taller than any other human being in the country comes and, and speaks into a microphone and you're, you're impressed with, with their, their persona and, and you so-called you believe? I don't know. I don't know. I think that most, I'm not saying it can't happen, but I believe that most evangelism begins with some form of intimacy. For example, and I'm not talking just out of personal experience. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. He often would have a meal with folks or sit in a circle or walk through crowds stopping to converse. We call that connect. To connect with people. To connect. So here's the problem though. Let's face it. Connecting with others can be both scary and exhausting. If you're an introvert like I am, it's exhausting. People exhaust me. I love them, but they exhaust me. So it's hard sometimes, and it's scary sometimes. But do these emotions 
change the nature of the Great Commission? I mean, can we say that God has asked us to do something we are incapable of doing or just uncomfortable doing? And I'm not saying you have to do it like Scotty does. He's obviously got a, a spiritual gift for evangelism. I'm not saying you have to go to a park and, you know, do whatever he does. There's, a, there's numerous ways to evangelize someone. could be a one-on-one -on -one conversation at Thanksgiving. You don't have to go to a park to do that. It may be uncomfortable. You may be stretching your comfort zone, but that might be your ministry. could be at work. I think of uh, Brenda always evangelizing people at work and patients and stuff like that. If you have a job where you come into contact with people, especially when they're weak in medicine, maybe that's your ministry. Maybe that's why God put you there. Don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But discomfort shouldn't dictate or overrule the Great Commission. Our job after salvation is to spread the good news, be encouraged and motivated by Jesus' words. Go to Luke 13, 18. 13, 18. And honest to goodness, I'm not trying to push anybody into a direction that the Spirit has said, no, that's not for you. All I'm saying is, what the Word of God says is that we've been given this commission and it, and it bears fruit. Luke 13, 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, in this case good leaven. It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. That's how we look. It doesn't take a lot. Do you understand? It doesn't take a lot. It just takes us doing it. There's fewer of us in this world, as far as I can see. There's few of us in this world than there are of them. And I don't mean to make some kind of weird us and them paradigm, because that's not right either. But there's fewer believers, as far as I can see, than there are unbelievers. And so we are small. We are like a seed. We are like a little leaven in the kingdom. And it's our job to spread the gospel. When we spread the gospel, again, it's like a little leaven that affects the entire lump of dough. But what's the requirement for spreading of this good news? Well, it requires messengers. I do my job. My job is to equip you for the work of service. That's Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, right? I do my job. You have to become messengers. You might be saying, uh, and, you, and this is honest to goodness, go back to the beginning of class, love and obedience. Love and obedience. Those things are in play right now. The command is the Great Commission. Will you obey? Well, I suppose it depends on how much you love. Because love does all kinds of things. How comfortable do you think it was for that mother who reached into a burning vehicle, lifted it up so her child could get out? How comfortable was that? I would think not very comfortable. Getting her hands and fingers melted off, I would think not very comfortable at all. But she did it out of what? Love. 
Love is the great motivator. So if you love Jesus Christ, you'll keep his commandments. The last things he said, hey, go out and spread the gospel. Oh, do you love him? It's too uncomfortable. Mm, mm, mm. Do you love him or not? Honestly, do you love Uncle Jimmy enough to give him the gospel this Thanksgiving? Do you? Or are you, what, too uncomfortable? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that we need messengers. That's what the Bible says, not Pastor Ed. That's what the Bible says. And Jesus is there encouraging us, saying, look, it's just a little, one seed, one little seed. That's all it takes. You could make that a microcosm in your own life. One little flicker, one little thing that gets you over the hump. And all of a sudden you're spreading the good news from within your own periphery. You might be saying in your mind right now, but I'm not confident enough, I'm scared, etc. Well, what do you think this 46-part series on the Lord is our confidence is meant to do? Remember, your confidence cannot depend on yourself. It must depend on His grace. If you look in the mirror and say, I'm not a good speaker, well, join the club, look at Moses, or maybe even Paul in some regards, I guess. You look in the mirror, or look in the Bible and find your encouragement. What, what happened to those guys? Moses said, I, I'm not even a good speaker. What did God do? He gave him Aaron. He said, ta-da. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll give you a mouthpiece then. How about that? All right, all right. You don't have to go to a park or a mall. But I'm going to present to you divine appointments right in front of you. Hmm. But you can't lean on yourself. It must be on his grace. If God has called you personally to the Great Commission, then he has given you what you need to accomplish it. He's not a God of confusion. He doesn't say, I want you to do this thing, sayonara. Figure it out. Wouldn't that be like the worst thing of all? Going to like a new job. You meet your boss, they're like, okay, there it is. I got to go to Mexico. This is a big warehouse with a forklift and hazards and everything. Just do it. And then he leaves. You say, do what? You'd be, what, confused. God doesn't do that. God's not a God of confusion. If he's given you that calling on your life, then you're able to do it. It's that simple. Here's some more encouragement. Go to Romans 10, verse 13. Romans 10, 13. Romans 10. And Satan's not stupid, by the way. Right? Satan is not stupid. He knows how to keep you distracted. And it's just easier to be distracted than to face the, the truth about it. Romans 10, 13. What do you, hey, what do you think happened? What's, do they still play like the massive football games on Thanksgiving? Yeah. Duh. What's everybody do? If they're not already drunk, they watch a football game. What does that keep people from doing? Actually talking about Jesus Christ, because they're too busy talking about Tom Brady. You know, their idol. Everybody's cool with it. Great, I don't have to talk about Jesus. See, Lord, I would talk to him if, if, he, if the TV wasn't on. It's not my fault. 
and eat some leftovers, and then you pass out from tryptophan or whatever that stuff's called. Romans 10, 13, right? That's all I'm saying is like a bunch of excuses. Do you really need to be a glutton? Probably not. That's why you passed out. Am I digressing? Probably. Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then, you ready? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Allah, the Great Commission. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. Obedience begins with salvation is right there in front of you. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The point is, we're all ministers doesn't, didn't he just lay it out right there? How is anybody got? How does people get the gospel? It's given to them. It's given to them from people like us, regular folk, scared people, shy people, uh, people without a whole lot of personal confidence. So, if you love, if you abide in that love, you keep his commandment. What's his commandment? Go out and spread the good news. The truth is that we have been called to spread the good news. As the spirits taught us recently, we must have integrity to the truth, nothing else. And this is a big portion of the truth. It's why we're here after salvation. And we have to have integrity to that thing. If the word of God says that simply in red letters... Go out, therefore. Spread the good news. What say you of it? That's, it's not hard, right? And the goal of my instruction, just so you know, because I'm the one presenting this to you right now, the goal of my instruction, and anyone honestly spreading the gospel seed, is to impart the substance of our integrity into your soul. I want you to know what Jesus said about the Great Commission. I want you to read it with me. I want you to see it. There it is. You see it? It's undeniable when it's in print, isn't it? God the Holy Spirit's like, yep, this is exactly what I needed. Boom, right in your soul. I want you to see that thing. And if you're convicted by it, that's awesome. Because at least at that point, you have something to have integrity. You have a choice to make. So the goal of my instruction is to impart the substance of our integrity into your soul. Some of you, um, what's the right word? Resent me for it? Some of you don't like the fact that these things are taught because now you're responsible to them? All that talk about like sexual stuff, you don't want to hear it. All the talk about you know, obedience, you don't want to hear it. All the talk about read your Bible, you don't want to hear it. Spread the gospel, you don't want to hear it. But it's too late. <laughs> You've heard it, and you're responsible to it. How that works out in your own soul, I don't know. My job is to give you the substance of whatever, the substance to your integrity. I minimally encourage this however I can 
which is really me saying read your Bibles. This brings us to the following principle up here on the board. Why? Once you have the substance, you have a choice to make, you have integrity to it, without integrity to the truth, there is no freedom. There is no freedom. Jesus said, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. John 8, 32. Lies, a.k.a. the anti-truth, are what keep people in bondage. I don't want to see you in bondage. And nor should you want to see anyone. At least you all, I believe, are believers. I don't want to see you in bondage. What about the person at Thanksgiving who's an unbeliever? Have you thought about that recently? Where they're heading? That's... that's this, it's not a prison sentence that gets that's done after 100 years. It's eternal damnation. It's not 100 years or 1,000 years. It's eternal. There is no end. Do you love them or not? So I'm trying to save you guys from bondage now as believers, knowing you get to go to be in heaven. But what about the unbelievers? That's the worst case scenario. They're in complete bondage. Therefore, the Great Commission, and therefore the call to be a messenger. Let's see if we can make some sense of this as we knit it back together with the first 45 parts of this series. And I only got about 10 minutes left. And don't forget the genesis again of the messages. The Lord is our confidence. A couple of Wednesdays ago, we considered this. Go to Matthew 8:23. Matthew, this is just the epitome of what truth resident in the soul does what kind of fruit does it bear some of you might go home tonight and lose a, a few winks of sleep because of what the spirit told you because you maybe you've been completely defunct on the great commission as of late i don't know why bother why why are you gonna lose sleep what's losing sleep tonight gonna do you nothing accept the truth Make a commitment to it, and then tomorrow's a new day. You don't need to lose sleep over it, though. Matthew 8, 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why are you afraid? He was asleep. They wake him up. They're freaking out. And he says, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Up here on the board, the power of true faith. Jesus had a peace that transcended all circumstances. At the core of his peace was his faith. He embodied truth, John 1.14, and therefore enjoyed perfect, ongoing freedom. Perfect, ongoing freedom. As we've noted in the past, faith requires an object just like our integrity. Our instructions have been very simple. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And don't feel singled out somehow. Ask how Jesus got his truth. Go to Luke 2.40. Luke 2, verse 40. 
Ask yourself, that's a fair question. Jesus was the most free individual in the history of mankind. How did he get that way? If he says truth sets us free, well, where did he get his truth? Luke 2.40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. In other words, God gives grace to the humble, the one who learns. He's our perfect example up here on the board. Jesus read his Bible. Imagine that. Jesus read his Bible. In obedience to his Father's will, Jesus studied and learned the Word of God. And the favor, which is charis, grace, was upon him, Luke 2.40. God gives grace to the humble, James 4.6. The humble submit to the Word of God and are blessed. Jesus is our perfect example. As we noted in Matthew 8, Jesus slept while others crumbled under pressure. You might say that the object of their faith and their integrity, therefore, was not the truth. That's a perfect example of us. Anybody going through a storm lately? How'd you fare? Did you wail and cry out? Did you whimper? Did you go to sleep at night? Or whatever in between? Well, that says an awful lot about your faith, your integrity, and what measure of truth you have in you. Maybe you're the one that's living in a lie by choice. Maybe you're the one who every time a certain subject comes up from this pulpit goes, la, 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 and you still persist in your own self-induced misery. And that's why you're not sleeping at night. I don't know. Those are all possibilities. I don't know your life. So, But in this example, we know that they didn't have what Jesus had. Otherwise, they'd have freedom that Jesus promises in John 8.32. Fair enough? Yeah. And that goes for us, too. So feel free to think figuratively about this in your own life. In the midst of a horrible storm, Jesus had perfect peace. Up here on the board, John 14.27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. So again, to wrap this up, to come full circle the way we started this evening, there is a sequence that I alluded to at the very start of this message. A sequence. Our job, our role, is to obey. Our role is to obey. We've had several commandments given from this pulpit just this evening. Did you drift? Did you go la, la, la? Honestly, could you relate to any of those big lies? Are you humble about recognizing that and calling it what it is? A stumbling block in your own life that you choose to put there. Our job, our role is to obey. A couple of Wednesdays ago, we received a refresher course on obedience. I've still got a little time. I'll go quickly. Let me just review this with you. All scripture up here on the board. Let this sink in. Jeremiah 7.23 But this, I com this command I gave them, Obey my voice and I will be your God, and you shall be my people, and walk in all the way that I command you, that it may be well with you. Doesn't that just sound like exactly what the Spirit said at the beginning of class? Do exactly what I say. Consider it a privilege to have commandments even given to you. That you have the word of God to obey. That you can have integrity to something that never fails. 
and that may that it may be well with you. First John five three, for this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Luke eleven twenty eight, but He said, blessed blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Who hear it and keep it. Blessed are them. James 1.22 But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Be doers. Why? Because you're blessed. And then Psalm 112.1 On the topic of obedience. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. Didn't I just describe that? The one who delights in his commandments. Uh, to an adolescent person, an adolescent type believer, that is folly. They say, no, no, that's not, there's nothing delightful at all about that. I'm going to have to give up this in my life. I'm going to have to give up this person. I'm going to have to give up this thing. I'm going to have to change this. I'm going to have to start doing this thing. Oh, God forbid I don't do the Great Commission. <laughs> right? I'm going to have to do the Great Commission. I'm going to have to give up more of my life. I'm going to have to go out of my comfort zone. I built this little cocoon, right? And you got your little warm Mickey Mouse slippers on, right? And you got the little space heater and your little pineapple chunks or whatever it is you eat, right? I don't know what the heck you guys eat, right? Whatever it is that makes you all comfortable, right? And everybody's like, ah, no, I don't want to go out of my comfort zone. It's cold. This chair is like form-fitting to my bottom. It's like nice and comfy here. You know some of you did that. As soon as I started talking about the Great Commission, you're like, oh. Andrew's like, I wonder how the baby's doing. (laughs) It's not for you. Don't worry about it, baby. You can't even walk yet, so it's not for you. (laughs) Right? I know what happens in your soul. I do it sometimes. I read the Bible like, oh. I want you delivered from that. That's all. Because you're blessed. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. I want you all to delight in his commandments. I want you to come to a place that I described at the beginning of class that says it's a privilege to obey. A privilege. Not a duty. Not, it is a duty, but you know what I'm saying. It, it's not that thing that we're given Uh, from Hollywood in in the kingdom of darkness. It's our job, our role even, to obey. Here's all you really need to know. And then I think I'm going to close. Up here on the board. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth, your word is truth. That's all you really need to know. Up here on the board. The greatest experience in this lifetime is to abide in truth. Hmm. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Okay, so the point on the board. The greatest experience in this lifetime is to abide in truth. Why would I say that? So I'm like, no, no, no. The greatest of these is love. Well, can, I just, can you just bear with me for a moment? Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, you will also Abide in my love. Ta-da! Imagine that. So if you obey, 
you abide in his love. I didn't say that. Jesus said that. And what's greater than abiding in his love? Nothing. Nothing. There is nothing greater on this earth than abiding in his love. The greatest of these is love. How do I get there? What is the divine sequence? We're talking about this part, not just the end part that all the phonies like to talk about. I love Jesus. Do you really? Because you went like this. Or you were like the robber coming into the, the, the pen from the side. You climbed up over the side. That guy doesn't get, that guy doesn't get the blessings. <laughs> Jesus says, I, I never knew you to that person. This is how you get there. Obey. Abide in the truth. If you keep my commandments, la, 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 you know, keep them all. Boom, boom, boom. You abide in my love. And what's greater than that? Nothing. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for truth that sets us free. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned back to our homes and then out to a, a world that just needs the truth so desperately, Father, needs the good news. Please give us strength and encourage us to go out as messengers. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.